to another episode of tbp's on rampant with d um i don't know what episode number this is because i don't track those things but you can go to the website and you can see how many episodes i've done um and if you have listened to every episode then you know um what it's about but if you haven't then this is the show where i attempt to find a real-time fever a real-time measure of what it's like when a brand new technology is introduced and what it's like when people that are a little bit intrigued by it are looking to adopt it or know more about it because I always thought it was really interesting if anyone were, were talking to the bike shop owner when the car dealer rolled into town and they like what you know what was that guy thinking about so this is like what is the average person thinking about when a new technology is introduced and the new technology is Bitcoin so I'm D host number two of the Bitcoin podcast and I have my guest for today's show introducing himself now hey uh my, my name's matt matt allen um, hey, happy to be here. good deal so matt um how'd you like hear about the show want to come on the show yeah uh so my buddy uh dylan who works with you guys on the uh the bitcoin uh, the bitcoin podcast uh he and i had been chatting and having some conversations um uh, I guess over the past few weeks and he was told, he was telling me about his involvement on the main show. And, um, I guess, uh, we just had some conversations about, um, you know, he was getting kind of into the, um, I guess into the technology, finding out more about it and just sort of, uh, it was really sort of, um, very new to me and sort of learning about it through him and, he told me about you and uh, your show that uh, it's um, it's I mean the purpose of it is for people like me that are just um, uh, kind of uh, just wondering hey what's all this about so here I am good deal so I'm gonna answer your questions I'm here to be your Bitcoin Sherpa up the mountain <laughs> that is Bitcoin I know uh, where all the rock slides are I know where to park the goats Sure. And, uh, <laughs> hopefully, um, I'm not the most technically sound of the trio, but I do have a great grasp on its ideology and what 
is supposed to do and enough of the background to where I think I can comfortably answer anything you shoot at me. So let's do it. Question number one. <laughs> cool. Well, um, so yeah, just from the onset, uh, I'll, you know, like I said, this is a uh, totally new ground for me. So, um, not at all knowledgeable in this area. Um, and as I started doing some reading and just kind of, uh, diving in and, and kind of, uh, getting a lay of the, uh, of the land, so to speak, um, uh, you know, I just kind of jotted down some stuff that's like totally foreign. Like, what does that mean? It doesn't make any sense. Um, some of the, I guess the terms and that sort of thing. So if my questions are totally scattershot. Uh, like, you know, I'm just kind of going from the shotgun approach. So there's no, uh, there may not be any rhyme or reason to it, but, um, so I guess, uh, in, in kind of just starting with a simple Google search, what is Bitcoin? Uh, <laughs> the greatest know, way so to like, start. That's a good, that, right. That's a, that's a kind of an obvious place to begin. Um, yeah, I came across some stuff that looked, uh, just really interesting and, and, you know, um, the most obvious thing that I was going to be confronted with that uh, was very mysterious was this whole blockchain thing, which mm -hmm. I understand is the uh, technology that uh, Bitcoin is based upon. But maybe we could just start there and you could just sort of expound upon how this technology came about and um, what its possibilities are and where you think it's uh, going. Okay. And uh, we'll see where that leads. I can do that. So – Blockchain is this, it's basically like the golden, you know, the goose's golden egg of Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin's a few technologies put together. Blockchain is one of them. And um, what the blockchain is, is it's, if you think about it abstractly, it's literally a chain of blocks. So let me explain what a block is. So in a block, you've got a mountain of transactions that occur. Um, you can think of transactions monetarily if you like, but it doesn't necessarily always have to be transaction, right? A, a monetary transaction can be literally anything. Just because I have it in front of me, I have like some stationery. You could let someone use your post-it notes and they give you pens. That's a transaction, right? A transference of information. But Bitcoin is money, um, so we'll talk about the money aspect. So in a block, there are transactions in the block. And what is happening is there are thousands of computers around the world all using computational power to figure out the answer to a math problem. Um, and when they find the answer to that math problem, then that computer or group of computers gets to say what transactions get put into a block, and that block is then added to the blockchain. And that's pretty much it. And then after one block is added, another block is added. And when you get six blocks in a row, you have like unrefutable mathematical evidence that all of the transactions that took place prior took place and they cannot be changed whatsoever. Really, they can't be changed after one block, but six is like the ultimate verification. Six confirmations is what they call them. So every 10 minutes, a new block enters the system, a new block enters the chain. Um, the longest chain wins. So the, the, the chain with the most computational power supporting it is the chain that has the absolute truth. So 
What also happens when a new block enters the chain, 20, not 25 new Bitcoin, that's actually gone down quite a bit, but new Bitcoin is introduced into circulation. It's actually given to the computer or group of computers that solve the math problem. Right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, there was a couple of things that you said uh, that touched on some things that I uh, came across in my reading. Um, so what's, what's the significance of the 10 minutes? Why the 10 minutes processing time for a transaction? So the 10 minute processing time is actually by design. Um, more computers will try to win that race or less computers will try to win that race, but it's designed into the software. It's designed into the protocol that it is to take on average 10 minutes to find a new block. So if a bunch of computers join the network, which right now it's the largest single computer network that has ever existed on the planet, um, the difficulty will increase to make it sure that those computers that are doing all that processing will find a block in 10 minutes. So there are other coins and there's other things that exist where it's not 10 minutes. Um, in Ethereum, which is another coin, it's about 17 seconds. Every 17 seconds a new block is added or something like that. I think it's 17. I know it's below 20 seconds. A new block is added. New block of transactions. So with just Bitcoin, though, it's every 10 minutes. And it's there by design. Um, so this new Bitcoin that enters the system, it started with 50 Bitcoin. So every new block, somebody got 50 Bitcoin. Every four years, I want to say, it halves. The amount of Bitcoin that enters the system is cut in half. So it went down from it went from 50 down to 25. And just this last year, um, on July, right around July 4th, actually, it halved again. And now every new block is 12.5 Bitcoin. And then four years from, go ahead. So what is the, uh, is there a cap on this? Or does it just, I mean, there has to be, right? Absolutely. There's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoin. What happens then? Then, okay, that's a great question. And I haven't been asked that one before. So thank you for asking that. That's an amazing question. Okay, so the way it works right now is all the people that are mining and securing and trying to, they're trying to win that race, right? But what they're also doing is securing and validating all the transactions that have taken place before. So what's actually happening is, is every time you make a transaction on the Bitcoin network, you have to pay a miner's fee. You have to pay a little tiny fee. Like, it's very, very small, and then it's actually divvied out amongst all of the miners, right? So, yeah, okay. so if there's like millions of transactions that take place, then they're getting a little bitty fee to basically process all of those transactions, mm -hmm. to mine all that Bitcoin, and to verify all the transactions that took place before. Right now, that fee is very tiny. It's a tiny fee. It, it was virtually free back when I got started. In fact, I saw a $10 million transaction that only cost 10 cents to send. Wow. Try to send $10 million to the banks. Yeah, it's, right. <laughs> you're not going to pay 10 cents. That's not going to happen. But at the same point, that 10 cents was actually split amongst all of the miners. So I think the most expensive the transaction fee has been is like a dollar. That's pretty expensive, right? If you want to buy something for $2 and there's a dollar fee... That's kind of expensive, right? It's like 33% of it. It, it, it sucks. Bitcoin sucks yeah. at that point. 
which is, you know, that's behind the scenes Bitcoin arguing amongst the community which way we upgrade to keep that fee virtually free. But at the end of the game, the end game is Bitcoin will be a substantial world currency and there will be billions of transactions occurring on it or on layers that are connected to it. So the miners won't need to be subsidized anymore by the new Bitcoin entering the system. They could be subsidized on the fees alone because there will be that many people using it. The fees could subsidize the miners and they'd want to continue. But those 20, that 21 million cap isn't until the year 2142. So we got some time. <laughs> kind of like Y2K, right? Yeah. <laughs> we'll let them take care of it in the year 2142, I think. I think is the year. It's, 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 it's way, way after I die. So right. <laughs> I don't have to worry. Well, you would have made your money by then, right? Hopefully. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, would, I would have been that rich uncle. All my kids are like, well, who's Uncle D again? And why is his face everywhere? I don't know. <laughs> but, you know. So, uh, how does one get into the mining game? Or is it, okay. uh, is it too late for that? It's probably too late for that. So it's it's evolved really quickly. It started where you could la- mine on a laptop. You could just start your laptop up, run the program, and you're on the Bitcoin network and you're mining. If you're on the Bitcoin network, then you are part of a node that is also verifying the transactions. Um, I wouldn't say verifying the transactions. I would say broadcasting the transactions. Um, and that's if you're just tapped into the Bitcoin network whatsoever. Um, but, uh, mining is really tough and it evolved really fast to the point where you could mine on your laptop. Then you needed a desktop with really, really nice video cards. Then they invented these things called ASICs, which I believe are action specific interface chips or something like that. Basically it's a little computational chip made to do one thing and one thing really good. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike, you know, these i7 cores can do so many things good this thing does one one thing and now you're you'll see huge huge buildings like the size of walmart full of these asic chips these these asic miner chips and that's all they do is soak up electricity and mine bitcoin all damn day 24 7 that's all they do um, and there's mining, there's pools of these buildings and they're all over the world, all over. There's some in Northern United, Northwestern United States, Northeastern United States. There's some in Greenland. There's some in Iceland. There's some in South America, um, in Venezuela, you know, where they're real free down there Four Bitcoin miners just got arrested for mining Bitcoin. Um, let's see, there's a bunch in China. One, one. Bitcoin mining farm in China is like on a waterfall and they're using the hydroelectricity from the dam, like straight from the the source to just mine Bitcoin all day. And basically it's a competition. The more efficient your chips are, the more money you're making because you're saving on electricity when you end up paying the bill on how much electricity you're using. So interesting. It's so, really, uh, yeah, yeah we've compete? turned, go ahead. I was just going to say who can compete with that, right? Yeah. At this point, it's you'd probably need, and this is just me doing napkin math inside of my head, maybe two mil to have a shot at making your money back. Mm. If you want to go buy a miner, go ahead. You're just going to, it's money <laughs> down the drain because you're going to pay more in the electricity it's using. 
than to mine. Now, that's where the situation is right now. Um, there's really no telling how this evolves if Bitcoin becomes something that's massively adopted because then it'll be more decentralized. And there's no telling how the game works then when every mom and pop shop is mining Bitcoin in their back closet because they want to be a part of the network that's making their transactions cheaper. Because who wants, I mean, any business is going to pay less than 1% than the 3 to 5% to Visa. Sure. That margin adds up. But I can't get people to see the common sense in that, and I've been trying for years now. <laughs> but, you know, there's no telling what happens should Bitcoin become massively adopted. You know, you could mine with anything. In fact, there's one gentleman we interviewed who's trying to make it so that every computer ever is also mining the Bitcoin network while it's running. So he's building, his dream is to build these little chips that go into your computer, they go into your TV, they go into your refrigerator, and it's actually mining Bitcoin at the same time. So mining is, is very fun. I did it a little bit. I didn't mine Bitcoin. I mined something that was easier to mine, but I built a $4,000 computer that sat in my shed um, and I built a ventilation system so that didn't overheat and those GPUs were, were just pumping out Litecoin for me. Yeah. Um, but that's what mining it is and, and, and that's it's it's really tough to get into nowadays. I mean, you could mine. You're never going to make your money unless you're a millionaire already. So how'd you do on <laughs> Litecoin? How'd I do on Litecoin? I ended yeah. up with... I ended up with 250 Litecoin, I think. And um, I sold all but 30 of them off at $7 a piece. Something like so was that, that enough to pay for your computer? <laughs> yeah, I actually broke even on the computer um, and made a, just like a little bit. But I don't nice. keep that much Litecoin anymore. Um, yeah, so what don't. about that? Um, it sounds like uh, there's, I mean, what's to stop a proliferation of other kinds of cryptocurrencies? I mean, is that already the trend that's emerging? Or is, I mean, clearly Bitcoin is is the first of the game, right? So, I mm -hmm. mean, they're, they're way out in front. Is anybody going to catch Bitcoin? I mean, I'm hearing um, other other technologies that are emerging, like something like, um, I don't know, but what, what do you... What Ethereum do you is that? one of them you'll probably yeah, hear well, a lot about. Just, about. just about to mention that, so... But the thing about Ethereum and Bitcoin is they are fundamentally different. Yeah, so I wasn't going to... I was hesitant to say that because I, I don't, didn't think there was quite a apples-to-apples apples comparison, right? There's not, but we're thinking of having it on ramping with another person in our <laughs> little Slack community that could handle the Ethereum questions better. Um, but they're fundamentally different. The only way I make it make sense in my head, and I'm probably going to catch a lot of flack from this community, is I liken Bitcoin to gold and I liken Ethereum to oil. Because okay. you need oil to make shit and do things. And Bitcoin doesn't do much of that right now. In its current state, it's just money. Because it's an obvious application. You know, Corey broke it down to me really easy the other day when we were talking. Before Bitcoin, when you sent something on the internet, you also had a copy of it too. Right? If you send somebody an email, you've got a copy of the email that you sent. You send somebody mm -hmm. some music, you got a copy of the music that you sent them. Yeah. Now with Bitcoin and the introduction of blockchain technology, if you send somebody something on the internet... You don't have it anymore. 
it's it's ones and zeros that exist and they can only be those ones and zeros so the very obvious application of that is money it's like oh so, if i hand somebody a dollar i don't have the dollar in my hand anymore well if i hand is. somebody a chunk of information i don't have that chunk of information anymore and if i try and copy it and send it on the network the network's going to spit it out and say no those ones and zeros belong to someone else now you don't have them anymore gotcha and so so is that uh is that what it means that um the idea of the double spending problem oh yeah you definitely did your research i like that that's (laughs) Well, so, yeah, I mean, I was interested, like, when did this get started? And it seems like, um, uh, you know, programmers have been trying to work on figuring out how to digitize currencies since, like, I don't know, I guess for a long time, maybe the mm-hmm. 80s. But was that, that was always the problem, right? It was like, well, how could you prevent, uh, you know, it's digital, right? So how can you prevent a duplication of it? Exactly. You, In fact, how do we prevent the banks from doing it we don't they do it except for they have the they have uh they have uncle sam in their back pocket to to make it legal right they just kind of dupe dupe money and print money however they wish but um you're absolutely right is that it has been tried before um other people tried to make digital currencies before but double spending was a problem and also it was a centralized thing you know if you have money it it was this it, the government always knew exactly who to go to to shut it down because the government doesn't like people making their own money because the government's got a really nice system where they can automatically take people from, take money from people however they need to um, to pay for whatever they need. But with Bitcoin is different because Bitcoin's decentralized and there's nobody you can point at to shut it down. There's no group of servers you can say, hey, stop. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. But I'm one. I did. I was curious about, um, uh, you know, <laughs> government regulation and and you know the IRS. And so, if there's a way that a government can capitalize, uh, at least within you know its, um, I guess, uh, from you know its own citizenry, uh, mm-hmm. what's to prevent, you know, them having a, a hand uh, in the game as well. Um, you know, that's a really high level question and we try to answer this all the time and you, you can't really predict how a government is going to react. Um, I can give you a historical track record. Um, I know China was rumoring that they were going to ban Bitcoin. They now have officially done 180 on that where they're thinking of actually regulating it and having it and understanding it's part of society and, and regulating it somehow. Um, Russia, exact same story. They rumors were going around they were going to ban it. Then they released this press release that was like, "Yeah, we're totally going to ban Bitcoin and we're going to find businesses that use it." But now, eighty, they've gone the other way around. Um, in the U.S., it's actually been deemed a money-like commodity, so you get capital gains tax on it. So if you buy a Bitcoin today and then you sell a Bitcoin, if it goes up a thousand bucks. And you've got to pay the 20% capital gains tax. You sell it and you actually lost money. If you sell it, if you bought it at 1000 and you sell it at 500 then you don't have to pay taxes on the 500 you lost. Capital gains and capital losses. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that that's how sense. it's treated in America. It's not treated as a bona fide legal tender yet. Um, because that would throw almost everything in our monetary system for a loop. 
um, because it's a private cash and the government doesn't. Here's the thing. What's funny? The government doesn't like private cash, but humanity are always gonna find a way to have private cash. It's like an innate thing. To to me, it's innate. Like if a government just has total control over my wealth and my stuff, then that just feels wrong to me. So I think humans are always going to find a way to have a private source of means of wealth outside of the government, or at least try to. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, that makes total sense, right? And which it also kind of uh, leads me to the, the, uh, the another thing I was curious about, um, you know, with kind of in the really crazy and uncertain financial times that we find ourselves living in, um, and, uh, you know, with, um, you know, you hear all of the commercials, uh, about investing in gold and, you know, the, the dollar's going to crash and, mm-hmm. you know, China's devaluing their currency and, you know, there's these currency world wars going on globally. Do you see, um, Bitcoin as being something as a hedge, uh, that would protect you, uh, against, financial arm or economic global armageddon um i do so before i say this i'd like to say that i'm in no way shape or form a financial <laughs> advisor um, that, if, yeah. you're, if you're listening to the show and you want to go buy a bunch of bitcoin you're doing that at your own risk um these are just my opinions about things so don't like if you go put your life savings in bitcoin and then something bad happens and you lose it um don't fuck with me Okay, please, please just <laughs> leave me alone. But um, I personally, yes. I think when one system shows that it's weakened, a stronger system steps in its place. And the going life cycle of currencies, government-issued currencies, is about 37 years. America's lucky. Uh, we're geographically fortunate, you could say. You've not been involved in really massive conflict for the past 100, 150 years. Um, well, not on our land, anyways. But so, given that the life cycle of a currency is actually 37 years, eh? <laughs> yeah. we're pushing it with the dollar, and we're doing, we're making some really unsound decisions to show that we might be coming up on that life cycle. But me, that's just me not wearing a foil hat, but I do believe you have to have hedges against everything when it comes to building your own wealth, right? You can't just live off of a credit card. You got to have some cash in the bank, right? You, you can't just live off of cash. You got to have something in your 401k. Oh, and then if you dive deeper into your 401k, you can make sure that's diversified too. You don't want to put every single ounce of your 401k into like domestic real estate. And then what happens in 2008, you lose your whole life savings. What? You should have been balanced. You should have put it into other things, even though 2008, almost everything shit. But <laughs> yeah, but you get the point. So Bitcoin does allow you to hedge in situations just kind of like gold has been used since the 70s as a way to hedge um, and maintain wealth over the years. Right, so, and so you, we were talking about the mining game earlier, and it was you said that, yeah, it's, uh, it's too late for that. Um, so how does one make money in Bitcoin? I mean, do you kind of treat it like, uh, like gold or silver or any other commodity, just uh, 
you, you acquire some and then just hold on to it and hope that it appreciates in value or, or can you put it to work in some way? Well, um, the ability to put it to work is new but becoming re real because Bitcoin was a first mover. It has the first mover's advantage or has the most value. Its market cap is around 13 or 14 billion. But all of the other alternate alternate currencies, they call them, are basically Bitcoin's basically the reserve of those other currencies. So if you want access to those other currencies, you usually have to buy Bitcoin first and buy those other currencies with Bitcoin. But the thing is, is that they're not always currencies. Like Ethereum is is not just a currency. It allows you to do the thing, these amazing things like build decentralized applications and smart contracts. So if you want to invest in those kinds of technologies, then you buy some Bitcoin and then you buy a bunch of Ethereum with your Bitcoin. All right, so I've actually done that. And my Bitcoin has made me money on Ethereum being more valuable than it was. It went from like 10 cents an, an Ether to now it's at about $12 or something like that. Interesting. So, so it's, yes, you can. Bitcoin can make more Bitcoin for you in that sense if you're willing to delve into investments that risky. Um, but to answer your first part of your question, Bitcoin is, is by design a deflationary currency as opposed to our dollars, which, you know, $1 in the 1930s gets you fucking almost a bag or two full of groceries. $1 today, and you might be able to get a pack of gum. You know, so we have an inflationary currency, which means prices tend to inflate. Currency stays the same. Well, Bitcoin is the reverse of that. Bitcoin is designed to gain value over time. So it flips these psychological things that are kind of bred into us on its head, where it's like, ah, I don't want to spend this money so fast because it could be worth more in the future. I, I kind of want to save it. You know, I find myself making weird decisions now where it's like, man, I could definitely buy this meal with Bitcoin, but shit, like a year from now, this $10 meal could be like $25. So I'm just going to not spend the money on this meal. You know, I'll spend this inflationary money. It's just this weird thing that it takes the idea of money losing its value and money actually ends up gaining value over time. And that is by design. The only thing that's dependent upon is more people using it. Right. Yeah, so that's interesting. For me, it's a very asymmetrical gamble. It's like, oh, if I bet five bucks, it could be worth 5,000. <laughs> uh, Yeah. That's an easy bet for me. And when it comes to gambles, it's like, ah, do I spend, you know, $600 on this Tesla stock or $600 on this Bitcoin? Or, you know, you you just kind of balance your, your bets. Yeah. And, and so, you know, just from me, yes, over the years um, of all the Bitcoin I've stashed away, I'm pretty positive on that now. It's definitely lived up to its deflationary aspects and it's also directly correlates that the global volume is increasing the amount of transactions are increasing and not just any transactions transactions of unique addresses are increase increasing the number of bitcoin wallets are increasing which is something i should probably explain to you 
what yeah, a wallet was, is. Yeah, yeah, I was curious to know about that. Okay, so wallets are getting fancier and fancier, but basically it is like having to have... So email works on a protocol, right? SMTP. In order to send an email, you have to have a thing that can communicate the SMTP protocol. Bitcoin is also a protocol. A wallet gives you access to that protocol so that you can send Bitcoin out and receive Bitcoin. We call it a wallet because it's just an easy thing. It houses all of your Bitcoin, right? That's about it. So if you want to hold Bitcoin, you need a Bitcoin wallet. If you want to hold Litecoin, you need a Litecoin wallet. If you want to hold Ethereum, you need an Ethereum wallet or an Ether wallet is what they call it. Um, Some wallets are really great. I use one currently. It's called Jax. And shout out to Jax. Why don't you sponsor one of my shows? Give me money. Uh, <laughs> Jax has all of the currencies built into one wallet. So I can switch in between Bitcoin, in between Ether, in between Litecoin, in between DAO tokens. It doesn't matter what currency it is. I push a button, I get a different currency. Yeah, I was interested. I had that thought as you were speaking about it. Is like, is there one that integrates more than one currency? I don't know if you could see it, but see, that's how much ether I have on my phone. Hey, and hold me up just a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So that's ether, and that's how much Bitcoin is on my phone. Oh, nice. Um, and this is. I'm kind of required by the job of having a podcast podcast to have mini wallets and test them all. Um, but that's the thing, though. This is a new age we're entering in. If I lose this phone or it is stolen, the cash on it is gone. Dude, that is scary. <laughs> yes, it is. Scary. Very scary. But then... So wait, making a backup to your computer or something like ah! that doesn't, uh, doesn't cover you? You, my friend, are a very bright man. So, um, like we said before, if I pass somebody those ones and zeros, they're the only ones and zeros that exist like it, uh, right? Can't, can't copy it, yeah. So, what a wallet actually does is there's a thing called a private key, mm-hmm. right? If you have this string of letters and numbers, you have the access to the Bitcoin that is attached to it, right? That's called a private key. When you send out somebody a public key, they can now send you money, but they can't send money out because you have the private key. So when you think of it as giving someone your email address, if you give someone your Bitcoin address, you're giving them a public key so they can send money to you. Right. So Bitcoin is a push system as opposed to a pool system. We currently live in a pool system where you give somebody your credit card information and they pull the money out of your account. Every time you every time you go somewhere, you're giving somebody access to your life pretty much because you right. give them they swipe a thing, it stores your credit card information, and they pull the money out of your account. Their their machine talks to your bank and then their your bank lets it go and they pull it out. But Bitcoin is a push system. Someone gives me the amount of money I owe them and I push it out of my wallet. Not me giving them credentials and then pulling them out of my thing. I'm actually pushing the money out to them. And I push it with my private key. My private key is the only thing that can push money out. My public keys receive money. Right? So a, a wallet houses that. But to get on what you pinged on that got me excited was the backup. 
it is your responsibility and only your responsibility to have the backup to your private key and know your private key. You don't have to know it because it's really hard to remember like a 36 character alphanumeric code, upper and lower case. It's just hard. Like it's, I don't know why anyone would want to try, but it's your responsibility to have your private key, right? So all my private keys, I haven't even seen them. They're just stored on my phone, literally on my phone. No one's seen them, but my phone. Uh, so <laughs> they can't go anywhere. People can't get to them because it's all encryption. It would just be some random string of ones and zeros and billions of random strings of ones and zeros that's just in my phone. But that's akin to me taking my wallet, having 20 bucks in it, and setting it on the counter somewhere. I guarantee if I come back a few hours later, somebody's going to take my damn wallet. Right? Yeah. Okay. So it kind of brings back that old school nature of, yeah, man, my phone's just a little more valuable than how much I paid for it when I bought it from the AT&T <laughs> store. It's got a yeah. bunch of freaking money in it that's just gone. Now, there are options. It's programmable money. There's a wallet called AirBits where you can back up your wallet and you can also have digital backups. So you can link your wallet with any new phone that you get with any new, anything that you get. They actually never see your private keys and they built a very, like I think they patented called edge security where they never see any of your data, but your private key is like, it's basically on the internet in the ether and no one can never really ask about. Now I explained that really poorly. You're gonna have to do your research on Airbits if okay. you wanna if you wanna see how they do their security. But in my personal opinion, it's the best in the business because Wait, so it's called Airbits is the product or is that a company? What is Airbits that? is the company and the product. Oh, okay. okay. They have a wallet and their wallet is secured using edge security. They're doing phenomenal things. They're actually trying to they're trying to make a world where you only ever have to remember one password and it's the password to your whole life because no one can ever access anything and your password is essentially like the private key to your digital existence. Yeah. So instead of you remembering a bajillion passwords, you remember one and it unlocks everything that you do on the internet. So how do you go about uh, protecting your private keys apart from uh, losing, mm. like not losing your phone? Me? I'm not going to give out my strategies <laughs> because that kind of makes that. I mean, it's just, it's digital, right? So your computer it, is like, it's like, it, I mean, it's like a sieve, right? I mean, you, and people have the ability to get at that information yeah. if you so, don't protect it. There's two things. And even if you that, do protect it, it's still not guaranteed, right? So Absolutely. Nothing's a guarantee. You could put your money under your mattress, get robbed. You could put your money in a safe, someone steals the damn safe. Like it's nothing's ever a guarantee, but there are precautions. So um let me clear this let me start. So there's two things. There's a hot wallet and a cold wallet. A hot wallet is a wallet that has touched the internet and it's inherently more it's inherently less secure than a cold wallet. Sorry, what do you mean by touch the internet? Um, if I make a wallet right now on my laptop, nine out of ten, friggin' six months down the line, my Bitcoin's gonna be stolen. It's touched the internet. There's 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 evilness in the internet. <laughs> like it's yeah. not a safe place. Although everyone loves to put all their data and stuff on Facebook and just loves it. You click one of those how to make a pie recipes and now somebody's looking all in your shit. Like it's yeah. it's a wrap. So a hot wallet is a wallet that's 
generated on a computer that has been accessing the internet. You can actually generate a wallet offline and send Bitcoin to it. That's called a cold wallet, right? Because it's a Bitcoin network, you can generate a private key offline on a computer that's never touched the internet, take that private key and generate a public key and then send money to that public key on the Bitcoin network. And that money now exists on something that's never touched the internet. So there's no chance of a virus or anything being in it. So that's a cold wallet. There's also these special devices of which one I'm about to buy called a ledger blue that are hardware encrypted. So you, although you're not familiar, you probably use it every day. Does your debit card have a little chip in it like this? It does. This is hardware encryption. And every single chip, I don't know if it's every single chip, but they have such a random variety of them. The encryption actually takes place on this chip. The way the electrons transfer through this chip are unique to this chip. So, So that is called hardware encryption. It's actually literally built encrypted, right? So that is one wallet that exists or type of wallet that exists. And that's where most of the people that have been in Bitcoin for a while put the majority of their Bitcoin. They put the majority of their Bitcoin in hardware wallets or cold wallets just because they know it can never be touched. Never be touched. <laughs> like it can't. It's basically like having bank-grade security in your pocket. So what Obama said when he came to Austin last year was actually very funny for us in the Bitcoin community. He came to Austin... And he said at the South by Southwest, I believe is what it's called. He said, no one, he said, I don't believe everyone should have the power of a Swiss bank in their pocket. And that was, that was directly targeted at cryptocurrency yeah. because that is what you have. You have the power of a bank in your pocket. It's bank grade security, but it's even better because it's decentralized. The criminals don't know to attack Matt Allen and they don't know to attack D but they do know to attack Bank of America and all the processing that they generate on the internet. So yeah, makes sense. It's not like bank robbers have gone away. They just have neck beards and they sit in dark rooms now and try to hack Bank of America <laughs> all day. Right. So, you know, they're not going to hack me. I'm not a freaking bank. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you can have that kind of, that level of security for your wallets. Um, yeah. Um, so, how many how many other questions you got? Can we rattle them off? Can we keep going? Yeah, man. I mean, I've uh, I've got a couple more that I was really interested in asking you. Um, well, I guess uh, so. Bitcoin has been around since what two thousand eight. So just over just over uh, what eight years now. Just over eight years. Yep. Two thousand eight. Okay. Um. Yeah. I think I read October of two thousand eight. Um, so actually nine years. Yeah. Nine years. All right. Nine years. Okay. Um, I just like any technology, um, you know, it's really hard to like predict because of how things, how quickly things change. Uh, it's, uh, you know, trying to just keep up with, with things, um, is very challenging and, um, there's tons of like just information overload but uh where do you 
where do you think uh, Bitcoin is going by the end of 2017? And if you care to kind of, uh, um, I guess, uh, extrapolate into the future a bit, I mean, where do you see Bitcoin in the next maybe five years? Ooh, that's a big question. And usually I'm asking my guests that question. They're like <laughs> 30 bajillion times smarter than I am. Um, let's see. In the next five years, um, I see regulators getting very heavily involved in a positive way. Um, they're going to realize see, that you don't see uh, something like Bitcoin ever like replacing the dollar, but working alongside it. I do see that happening. And I do see it actually becoming a global reserve currency, but not in the next five years, maybe the next seven to 10 years. Um, one, it has every single aspect of gold and the bonus that it can be sent anywhere at any point for virtually free. I can't send a pound of gold somewhere. Or I can't send a giant gold bar of gold, a giant bar of gold somewhere. It's really heavy. In fact, it probably yeah. costs more to transport it than it does just to put it somewhere and leave it there. Right. So you know, Bitcoin. I do believe it could be a reserve currency. Although there will only ever be 21 million whole units, each one of those whole units is divisible to the millionth decimal place. Sorry, not the millionth decimal place, but Wait, I think I got it right the first time. Yeah, the millionth decimal place. So each one unit is divisible to the millionth. There's one million, one units. Yeah, got that right. So if you think about that, there's plenty, plenty of room for global commerce to fit in that many decimals. Plenty of room. And if not fit, then work right alongside it as a balancing factor. So... I honestly do believe that within the next decade, Bitcoin will be a major, major reserve wealth store for a lot of people. Because um, really right now, when it comes to currency, you've only got the dollar, the euro's shit, the pound is going to shit, the yon's always been shit, and it ain't ever going to be shit. So like, <laughs> what other currency out there is a reserve currency that people are using. There's major currencies, but it ain't so not really it, reserved. It sounds so. like it's sort of serving the same purpose as gold. Yeah. I'm wondering, uh, as it increases in value, does it threaten gold's value in any way? Do you do you see that happening? Some people are starting those rumors. I don't see it threatening gold. Um, gold's always good to own because gold's just freaking awesome. Not just you know for money. It's just a great thing to have. It's never been worth nothing, right? Yeah, it's never been worth nothing. It's got the conductivity. They put gold on stealth fighters and stealth drones and shit. Like gold's <laughs> gold is never going anywhere. But I'm just um, saying because of the new age that we're entering and the things that cryptocurrency can do, um, I'm just you know, it's kind of a brave new world, right? So do we even know what to expect? I think we really don't, man. I, I really think it's gonna be it's gonna be really hard to predict. Um, there's, you know, with the, I read an article just the other day that J Japan's having a problem with their teens spending so much time on the internet they don't know how to be regular humans. <laughs> and just think of how much worse that's gonna be when virtual reality hits. And the people are Facebook is trying to own virtual reality with having these virtual worlds that you could live in. Like, there's no telling what the hell's gonna happen. Um, wow. You know, there's 
and Bitcoin could be a bona fide currency in a world like that, where people could live in a virtual world and trade a good. You give them money and you get goods and services, and your little virtual avatar doesn't have that money anymore. So, right. you know, Brave New World. Like, yeah. I know yeah. usually when you say that, it's a bad thing because the book, but, <laughs> <laughs> right. but uh, you know, it's a, uh, it, it definitely, Bitcoin's going to grow very fast. Ethereum is doing things that no one even thought possible and can make possible using Ethereum. So that space is growing incredibly fast. Um, so, so on that note, the, um, what, what, what emerging technology are you most excited about that you see coming and really kind of changing things? Hmm. Or, or is it, so you mentioned Ethereum, but is there something you said Ethereum is used to make things, right? So um, what kind of things do you see coming out of that space that uh, mm. might be just thing? Just I, uh, I think Ethereum is a lot more exciting than Bitcoin right now. Bitcoin is just money, and money's kind of boring. In fact, when I get into conversations about money with people, they're like, why do you care so much about money? It just gets me things. It's not like it should be that important. And it's not like you're a freaking banker. Like, you're not banking. So why do you care so much? And people are right. Like, money kind of gets boring after a while. It's like, oh, cool. I can do digital money. But Ethereum allows for things like um, IPFS, which is Interplanetary File System, yeah, which means yeah, that, heard um, that you've heard of that. Oh yeah. man, that's intense stuff. Where you can have the the file sharing and the database is the entire globe of computers. Like right. it's you know you have endless access to storage, right? That's I like Ethereum. I always call it Skynet because <laughs> you can use these. Uh, smart contracts to program things where machines are doing business with machines. So then things get really scary, right? Like you got a self-driving taxi that goes to a self-fueling gas station and you got the taxi paying the gas station. (laughs) Like (laughs) that's, that's weird, but that can exist. And it's, it's not always a payment in that aspect. In fact, I could send you a link to a video where somebody programmed their Tesla car to go through the neighborhood and like communicate with the stoplights and communicate with an electronic mailbox that they had to pick to get the mail for the car. And then when the car got close enough to the house, the house started turning on all the AC and the TV came on and all kinds of stuff. Like to me, that's kind of fascinating technology. I think it would be cool if on a Wednesday I get an email from my refrigerator. that's like, Hey, the camera inside told me you're running low on milk. You want me to go ahead and buy this milk and you can just pick it up on your way home. And I'll be right. like, hell yeah, refrigerator, buy that fucking milk for me. <laughs> and I'll just pick it up from the grocery store. Or you shoot, know? man, they've got delivery. So Amazon has like a delivery service and they just bring it right to your door. Hell yeah. Like uh, refrigerator, send me an email and I will approve all funding that you need. Just get the groceries <laughs> to my doorstep. <laughs> like, so, Yeah, yeah. So um, you mentioned smart contracts, uh, so file storage. Um, what about uh, um, stuff coming, I guess, uh, emerging for like um, the stock market or, or mm. you mentioned Internet of Things. But um, That stuff uh, I'm not super duper privy on. You might need to go on an episode of the Bitcoin podcast, Stock with Corey, 
because uh, he actually works in it on a day base day to day basis. Um, we actually just interviewed and are very close friends with a company called Equibit that has built a program to basically disintermediate all of the intermediaries um, of the OTC stock exchange. Um, so when so you no, trade no, a stock, no transaction fees in. Yeah, like take the transaction fees out of there. You know, so, you, when you buy a stock, you got to pay ten dollars or something like that. Take yeah. that out of there. Make the trans make instead of it being a three to five day grace period before you get yeah. your stocks, it's a ten minute grace period using the Bitcoin blockchain. It's interesting so. to think about it though, because like something like that. I mean, these things are going to be so massively disruptive. I mean, because there's so many, so many enterprises that are built on the current model of things and so like those things just kind of like go the way of like blockbuster video right yeah that's i mean the biggest caveman got disintermediated got disrupted by the guy who put wheels underneath his logs <laughs> you know that's, that's just true. what that's just what happens you know this is this Blockbuster turned Netflix down. They said nobody's ever going to want to stream movies into their house. That's stupid. They love coming to Blockbuster. Well, surprise, surprise. People don't yeah. love going to Blockbuster, and we can go get the $2 bag of candy instead of that $5 shit you're charging me when I'm there. <laughs> so Yeah, plus, it, plus the late fees, man. Oh, man. I you know that. Yeah, late fees, man. <laughs> stupid. You owe us 37 cents, and you can't rent Rush Hour 2. Like, dude, <laughs> word? Okay. Yeah, right. Um, but technology finds a way. It it does. And, you know, whatever, the people are going to be upset that they're getting disrupted. But if you get disrupted, you deserved it. Yeah. You were stagnant. You didn't change. You kept with Arrogant. the status quo. And somebody yeah. came in and they made something that was better and you lost. I mean, that's yeah. just the way, that's the way it works. So. Banks need to change because last time I went to a bank was on accident. I turned into the wrong parking lot. Like I do all my banking in my phone, just like millions of other millennials do. And once yeah. something gives me the option to not do that banking with them, I might not even do it with them. Because quite honestly, I don't like them that much. But it's like part of my, it's just part of I have to exist to to have it. But you know, a lot of people don't need banks. There's a lot of countries overseas that can't get banks, but now they could do their banking with Bitcoin. Why not? Right. The, yeah. the ledger's built in. So, Interesting. so, you know, to those people that are going to get disrupted, I say, say la vie. I don't know what that means, but I think it means something <laughs> really fancy. And it basically means kick rocks. If you can't keep up, kick rocks. You know, that's, that's just the way it is. So, are they going to be upset and are they going to try to lean on the regulators? Yeah. Right. Yeah, probably, but hopefully they'll be kind of dumb and there'll be enough people like myself entrenched in society by then to say, Hey guys, um, no, <laughs> like that's not, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily want to use dollar coin because that implies a lot of surveillance and a lot of privacy infringement there. You want to use a decentralized private currency because that way at least you are inoculated. You know, so I'm already seeing that come down the pipeline. You know, I'm the only one of my friends besides Corey and Cello and the people in our Slack, of course, that pays attention, but they're going to try and leak out 
a dollar coin, a leak out a Fed coin, and it's going to be up to people like me to say, hey, guys, that Fed coin's cool. You can do all kinds of cool stuff now, but it's not decentralized, and it's not really the people's currency. You you got to have an option. Yeah. So um, to answer your question, ultimately, that started like 10 minutes ago, where do I see this in five years? <laughs> Um, kind of, yeah. We were we were just kind of riffing. That's all right. Uh, I see Bitcoin being a lot more valuable. I see me having had probably about two hundred of the shows just like this, and um, the things that Ethereum and Bitcoin have done together will be mind blowing. AKA cars driving themselves in the city, and you actually paying the car. Um, wallets inside of your car so that you don't have to awkwardly give someone your credit card when you want that chalupa from Taco Bell. They just sell you how much it costs and you send them the money from your car by pushing a couple buttons on your car. That's very possible. That could probably be done like tomorrow. Um, all kinds of fancy shit. Uh, Minority Report kind of world. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, what do you think is... Uh... Do you see the adoption uh, of Bitcoin as something that's um, um, gaining momentum, or do you see it as uh, people are still kind of hesitant? Um, I mean, I, I I saw that it was the top performing currency of 2016. And when, 15. Oh, okay. And 13. But it seems like there's still <laughs> quite a lot of volatility, and I guess that volatility stems from a lot of the uncertainty about it. So what's uh, what do you think is um, is it just sort mm-hmm. of being conditioned by con- the conventional model or the conventional like just uh, you know the way we are conditioned to think about money, currency, the economy, just kind of the way uh, those things work, and this is like totally new, and no one's really kind of wrapped their minds around it yet. Or um, I think that's it. Yeah, I think it's totally new, and people haven't wrapped their minds around it. Ra- around it. Um, humanity loves linear things, but things tend to happen exponentially. In fact, we deal with a function mathematics that linearizes exponential things because we really can't fathom. If you take the number two and you raise it to like the power of eight, you've already got a number that's just astronomically large, mm-hmm. right? Two times two times two times two. I don't even want to do that in my head, (laughs) but things, when things do that, right. When they double and it's exponential, it's hard to measure how the gain is happening in real time. When you zoom out far enough, the adoption of the computer looks like it didn't take very long, but in the eighties from 1980 to 1990, holy shit, you know, from 1990 to 2000, holy shit. Yeah. Right. From 2000 to 2017, holy shit, with this smartphone I'm holding right right now. You know, it seems exponential, and it seems like it's happening really fast, but zoom out far enough, it looks linear. So I think if Bitcoin adoption takes place in the way that I think it does and, and the, the way that I hope it lives up to, um, it's going to happen, it seems, overnight, but it's really going to be like seven to ten years. And then all of a sudden, you're going in a gas station – and, you know, you'll see little signs. It's like Bitcoin accepted here. Right. You know, so as far as adoption, it's going to be slow. It's going to seem like it's slow until it hits that exponential curve and then it's overnight. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? 
So the tipping you, point, the tipping point. Like I remember back when I was at school, 2002, it's like, Oh, facebook.com. What the hell? That's kind of cool. Yeah. And then you hear about it again, like a month later, facebook.com. I keep hearing about that. Then you finally get on it and you realize everyone's been on it for a little while. And then two years later, face, there's a freaking movie about it. Cause the guy's a billionaire. It's like, yeah. what? Yeah. Exponentials yeah. is are really hard to to see in real time because you don't know when you're going vertical. So, you know, there's there's really no telling how fast it happens, but when it does, if it does, it's gonna be nasty fast. So, um, all right, yeah. man. Well, that's uh, I feel enlightened. So, yeah, man. Good. Thanks so, very much. This has been awesome. Do you have any Bitcoin? I don't, but I'm seriously, um, I'm doing some serious uh, um, consideration of, of getting into some Bitcoin. All right. Well, I'll leave you with this. You don't have to buy one whole Bitcoin for $1,000. That's a mistake a lot of people think, and that's not true. You can buy Bitcoin in any increment you want. You can get 50 cents worth right now if you want. You can get a dollar's <laughs> worth if you want right now. Um, that's the way Bitcoin works. You can buy it in any increments you want. Um, if you'd well, like, so, go ahead. so, uh, you acquire Bitcoin through a company like Coinbase then, right? Yeah. Me, myself, the bulk of my Bitcoin is through automated purchases through coinbase.com. I set it and forget it just like everything else I want to accumulate or pay in my life. Bitcoin has just become, I could, I treat it like a bill. Every month I pay the same amount. Don't care what the value of Bitcoin is. I just get more Bitcoin. So how how much does how does it work with Coinbase? I mean, are they charging you like a fee for for a transaction or? Yeah, they charge a they charge a fee. It's a small fee. Um, I think last hmm, I paid twenty bucks. I paid twenty dollars and seventy three cents for my last transaction for them. So the seventy three cents is the fee part. And the twenty dollars is how much I bought. Oh, okay. So, um, nice. uh, I think that's the last time I paid attention. Uh, their fee is not; it's marginal. It's really marginal, and you, yeah, every, I set it and forget it. You give them some banking information, uh, or you could just give them your debit card if you live in Texas, which I'm assuming you do. Um, if you work with Dylan. Yeah. Um, you give them a debit card, and you can just make recurring purchases. So just like giving, I don't know, us giving somebody you pay your bills to your debit card information, so they could pull it out. Essentially, the same thing because you're using a bank; they're pulling the money from your bank. They're just exchanging it to Bitcoin on the other end. So. All right. Yeah, man. Well, definitely. Um, it seems like uh, it seems like a smart investment. So. Um, yeah, I've invested a lot more than money into it. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, uh, but no, man, this has been fascinating. I mean, just kind of wading in and doing a little bit of research that I've done over the past few days, just, uh, and like just this conversation alone is just, uh, really kind of, um, just broadened my scope, my vision for, um, for the, the, the space, I guess the, the, the subject. So I'm excited to, to learn more and to get in, get involved. Hey, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to kind of spark your curiosity. And if you want to know, uh, well, you're in our Slack. 
Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, we got we got people there doing some high level shit in our Slack. We got CEOs in there in the industry. Corey himself works in the industry. Uh, Marcello works in the industry. Like it's, you know, there's people in there with a lot more technical expertise than I do, than I have. Um, that that could definitely answer question at any depth. They're cool. they're you know they're discussing. They're discussing projects in Ethereum that I can't even wrap my my mind around right now. They're just well, they go after it. So yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm very interested in emerging tech from Ethereum. So it sounds like I need to pay attention to that Slack channel. Yeah, yeah, definitely. the The general Slack channels where most of the discussion goes on. So, um, wait. Well, Matt, you know, thanks for giving me a big old chunk of your evening. Uh, go enjoy. Little Friday. Yeah, man, you too. And uh, it was good talking to you. And hopefully we'll be talking in the Slack a lot more. Um, and just, you know, don't no one in there is an ass. So you can ask <laughs> any question you want. And if someone is an ass, they're going to be called out real quick. It's like, man, get that out of here, jabroni. Yeah. So, you know. No, that's good, free. man. Uh, yeah, it's been great. Uh, it was great to meet you. And it's great talking with you. And uh, I look forward to learning a great deal more. So right, I will man. definitely be... Uh, calling on you guys. Please.